September 27th, 2023. Let's address tonight the next holiday in as we mentioned in this Perik, in this chapter, Harambam's addressing the reasoning, the philosophy that underlies, as per his description, Torah if you're to open to the Torah, you want to understand through the text of the Torah, of course with the Hachamim aiding our understanding, but primarily not a Torah picture of the Mo'adim, well, what is it that we're to glean and understand from them? So we addressed Rosh Hashanah in this Perik. We talked about Yom Kippur. Now, Sukkot. Sukkot, naturally, whereas Yom Kippur came early, right after Shabbat, and we addressed why. Rosh Hashanah, well, Shavuot, we're not addressing now. Pesach, okay. Rosh Hashanah, now Sukkot. So Sukkot is what we're going to talk about tonight. Sukkot in just a few nights from now. On page 597, the bottom paragraph. Sukkot, and he's referring to the holiday first. Shekavarato l'simcha v'chedva. So he first immediately tells us that the purpose of Sukkot is for happiness and for an elated nature. Hu shiv'a yamim, parsem hadavar. The purpose of the seven days, says Harambam, is so that the matter is made known. You won't miss it if it's seven days. V'uhivhir Torah. And God made clear in the Torah, Maduahu Ba'onahazot, why it's specifically at this time, Be'ospecha et ma'asecha min hasadeh, as you gather in your produce, that which you've put effort into from this field, Kilomar. Vishaah, indeed. Well, all the regalim are related to agriculture. It happens to be we haven't addressed Pesach and Shavuot yet. But this one, no different than the others. He's going to get specific on this one, Kilomar. He's going to specifically describe it, you see, because, again, the Pasuk just describes in more than one place that it's at the time that you're gathering. Says Harambam, Kilomar, Bishaah shepinuyim, it's a fascinating thing. According to Arambam, the elated, happy nature of the holiday, whereas some, and we'll even read it from Rashbam in his commentary to Parashat Emor, will suggest it's because of your success. So Arambam has nothing to do with your success. It has to do with the fact that now you have time, and now you're free, and now you're not working, and you have the ability to be happy because you're not distracted. Kvar Aristo sien batishi min hamidoche kachayale daatam hamikubal ben haumot bisman hakadum. He says, in truth, Aristotle already writes or wrote that this was a common practice amongst different tribes and different religions or sects during his time period. How so? This is what Aristotle wrote. The early sacrificial rites of different groups, and their gatherings, you know, their ritual gatherings, it was after they gathered their fruit. The purpose was, now we're free. Again, even Aristotle, as Harambam cites it, it's not so much a thankfulness per se, it's I'm free, I have time, I have focus. Well, how am I going to spend that time? May as well appropriately sacrifice something I haven't been able to do until now. Zeh continues Harambam, leshono. That's the wording of Aristotle. Kemochen, so to Now, Harambam has not described anything other than the holiday of Sukkot. He hasn't described the mitzvah. Certainly not the mitzvot, we haven't talked about arba'at aminim, no, sitting in the sukkah. Kimochen, 
so too. That's a fascinating thing in and of itself, in my opinion. Harambam can, and Peshutosho Mikra, you could potentially read it like this. He can disassociate the holiday, the Regel of Sukkot, from the mitzvah of sukkah. He could suggest the agricultural aspect is the holiday, sacrificial side, and the uh, ritual uh, sitting in the sukkah might be different. Says Hanambam, it's not different. Sukkah is hand in hand. How so? Kemochen ha-yeshiva ba-sukkah be-ota tikufa nisbelet. En hom hazak velo geshem matri. Do you hear his words? Hanambam says, why do you sit in the sukkah at this time period? Because... It's comfortable. That's his claim. It's an amazing thing. He says the weather is appropriate. It's a good time for sitting. It's not too hot, nor is it too cold. Now he's effectively addressing, without explicitly saying, the well-known question. Oh, that's for short sure. So first and foremost, as A.B. point out, he's talking about Israel, right? The weather is a little bit different here. It's different elsewhere as well. Um, but, um, but, but he's effectively addressing furthermore, and that's what he's talking about, he's addressing why do we have Sukkot commemorating some sort of travel in the desert at this time? This is the classic question of many of the Rishonim uh, on the page in front of you on, page, on sources one and two. Uh, Tur and Rashbam, whom we'll talk about in a moment, ask this very question. Harambam didn't ask it, he alludes to it. In other words, why are we sitting in Sukkot to commemorate the travel through the desert now? Wouldn't it have made sense after Pesach? Wouldn't have made sense at a time period during which we're close in proximity with regards to time, I know, um, to Yesiyat Misraim. So Harambam says quite simply and pragmatically, and almost refreshingly, the reason we commemorate that aspect, again, not the sacrificial, we said that's because you're free. The reason we celebrate and commemorate the travel in the desert and sitting in the sukkah is because this is the most comfortable time. Again, the irony, very clear. So much clear, I, I suggest further. Tur, now I'll mention in source number one, Tur is in source number one in the supplementary sources. You don't even need to look at it, but I can tell you, he addresses the same question. He says, why do we sit in the Sukkah at this time period? Why not after Pesach? Why not around the time of Nisan? Says Tur, because... It's a terrible period for weather. It's raining. And if we were sitting in the sukkah during Pesach time, it wouldn't be nikar. It wouldn't be clear that the reason we're sitting there is to fulfill mitzvah, mitzvah taboreh, to follow God's will. As he told us to sit. We'd say he's sitting in it because it's comfortable. Therefore, it's specifically during the rain season when it's not going to be simple going into the sukkah that you're sitting in the sukkah. Fascinatingly, two different climates two different visions, the tour potentially was very influenced by his climate without, so to speak, tapping into the climate of Eretz Yisrael. But Harambam, true to the Torah Shebikhtav aspect, as he told us he would be, says the reason you're sitting in the sukkah at this time period is because it's most comfortable. The truth is as well, I wonder, and I wouldn't go this far because there's always normative, there's always legal underpinnings, which there are. There is a debate amongst poskim, for example, on the first night of Sukkot. On the first night of Sukkot, if it's raining, do you sit in the Sukkah or not? Not even about waiting, sitting in the Sukkah. According to Ramah, who follows Rosh, as a matter of fact, you sit in the Sukkah, first night of Sukkot, the mitzvah ta'asif from the Torah, is even when it's raining. It's a crazy thing, even if it's raining. I've been at my in-law's house, Rosh Ganazik, 
I ate inside. It's hasur for me to be out when it's rainy, even on the first night. And they go outside. What do you mean? I mean, we'll wait, whatever. But they, yes, that's right. So maybe half of me could have gone in. My wife. Um, anyway, you know, three quarters of my children. Anyway, um, but but I almost wonder, and I'm not going that far because I don't think when you think in the legal realm of you know halacha and Torah, it really goes this tethered. We've talked about this on other occasions, the philosophy and the halacha. But it's very consistent, that vision of Tur, uh, the son of Rosh, that the reason we're sitting in the Sukkot during this time period is because it's less comfortable. Well, then it stands to reason that there could be a performance of the mitzvah even when it's raining. Okay, something along those lines, guys. Why dismiss the point of that's the harvest time? Because attach it to that, and it happens to be a nice time. Because that's the time, not just that you have time, but you're a couple, but I got a nice harvest. Right, right. Interesting. I, I, I think what you're saying is when you do, but it's, it, I think the answer is because we're, you and I are, are both confusing. This is when the harvest is done. It's when you're gathering in. So you're not in your booth out in the field any longer. Right. You're looking at your side and go, wow. I got it. So then. But we build the sukkah of dead things, right? The two and your harvest is done. Sure. It's done. So, but again, why are you going into the sukkah? Why, why at this time period? Why not do it when you're. you're attaching do- it to this Right, okay. Uh, again, so for Harambam, it's a time period during which you're free. Yeah. Says Harambam, further, it's good weather, let's do that aspect, says Harambam. I don't want to address Pesach right now. Let's go to the second line over here. Pesach, when we get to Pesach. It's an important line for Pesach. It's the signs, it's the miracles, really. It's ototu mofetim um, that took place in the desert. Uh, for eternity, we should be commemorating, remembering, and appreciating them. What's the purpose? Even during the time. And this one is attaching itself, by the way, A.B., to the time period, right? In other words, the time period, you're at your most prosperous, potentially, time. And in turn, remember... Your low time. Interesting. So that your gratitude to God will be greatened, uh, uh, made larger. What's that? Sounds like Shavuot. Okay. Uh, maybe all, indeed. It'll give you a certain self-negation, give you a certain humility. And that's the Pesach. So it means Sukkot, again, sitting in the Sukkot, good time period. Furthermore, at that time period, it's kind of like a twofold thing, remember and realize what happened in the desert so it gives you appreciation for where you are now. He continues, Leave your home, comfort, and live, dwell in the Sukkot. The way the Hazaton sit out in the desert. So that you remember that this is the way we used to be. You understand how we just described this. First of all, he seems to be taking Sukkot Mamash. Mahlokit in the Gemara between Tanaim, whether we're commemorating actual booths or the Ananim, the clouds. Right? So he seems to be talking about actual booths. But listen to how he does it. What's the idea of actual booths? 
that they're kind of uncomfortable, that it's not your home. It's not because of the protective side, not because of the miraculous per se, it's because in the desert it was not exactly the best, uh, the, the best uh, accommodations, but yet God brought us through it. So remember the miracles, realize that you're not in the best accommodations. He's alluding to, the lesser side, right? He's alluding to not being stuck. Certainly, but more than not being stuck, okay, the nomadic, uh, vulnerable side of, of things, certainly. And from the desert, we transferred, we went, we passed over into homes, which are adorned and beautiful, in Eris Israel, and it's the most blossoming and the most prosperous in terms of lands, based on the chesed of God to us, I don't want to because I'm not certain how to address this, why he gets into this now. But in the last few lines, we'll read them. He says, you should also have a realization at this time on Sukkot, he specifically mentions it, that it's B'zchut Avot that we got into the land, that it's in merit of the forefathers. It's an interesting addition. It's not, in my mind, it's not part of the larger theme. The larger theme was appropriate time, comfort. Furthermore, appreciate what you do have when you're not in the sukkah, by being in the sukkah, so that you tap back into that. Lastly, he says, remember Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, Avraham, Yaakov, It's indeed one of the principles of the Torah, Kelomar, in other words, Shekol tova shetu'anak, that any goodness which was bestowed or will be bestowed upon us, because they followed in the ways of Avraham, I mean, that'll only work for Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. There should be seen as more than that, but maybe it'll lend a little bit to that in his mind, although he doesn't, to the best of my knowledge, know about that, talk about it, or, you know, care about that. All right, so anyway, that's... From the standpoint of the, the, you know, the the aspects of of the Yushbizi. In other words, not necessarily... Understood, understood. In other words, Norman's saying that, uh, not per se, the the visiting. He's saying more what they represented. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think he might be on to something with regards to why he mentions that here, specifically by Sukkot. All right, Od Hazon Namoed. Let's skip the next paragraph because it's on Shmini Atzerit. Okay, so again, we summarized two, three times already Sukkah. Then he gets to Arba Ataminim. We're not going to read this whole paragraph either, but it's a very important paragraph. It's an important paragraph to return to as well. What he does in this paragraph before, and we'll read a little bit of it, is he says, don't make mistakes with understanding Midrashim. It's the classic line, which many people know from his introduction to Perek Helek. He does it here as well. What context? This is less known that he does it in the more. He says, what's the reason for the four species for the Arba'at Taminim? Oh, of course, I know. One is Klal Yisrael, the best of them, the good smell and good taste, the so and so and so forth, that Midrash. And he says, wait a second, that's not the reason of the Torah. That's something we can learn from it. Don't misunderstand Midrashim. There are three types of people, etc. So, Arba'at Taminim, Shebalulav, Natenua, Hachamim, Zal, says, if you look in the Midrash, you'll find Te'amim Kol Shem, they give derashot, if you know how to understand Midrashim. So then you understand, uh, or piyutiyut, 
ולא שזאת משמעות הכתוב, זה המולטיקל, זה ביציאתם מהמדבר, שהיה לא מקום זרע ותהנה וגפן ורימון ומים אין לשתות, אל מקומות עשה פרי ונהרות. From the desert, the desert presented us, the Midbar presented us a place where there was no growth, no vegetation, nothing of beauty with regards to something that comes from the ground. To the land, you're going to pick from the greatest species. He's going to describe that in the land to represent our gratitude for being in the land. Let's just finish it before we comment on it. He says, um, uh, uh, Therefore, is to be taken in order to remember our appreciation for the land. First and foremost, most beautiful. That's the etrog. And then the hadas, which apparently, again, this is his approximation, as per the Torah, the best smelling, uh, and that's the hadas. And then the one that has the most beautiful leaves, that's the lulav. ביותר, and then the nicest sprout, כלומר, ונחה, that's the Aravot. בארבעת מינים אלה מצטרפים שלושה דברים. By bringing these three together, you have three aspects. All three types of Jews? No, that's the Midrash. האחד, שהם מצויים הרבה בארץ ישראל באותה עונה. והם בהישג ידו של כל אחד. Like the Sukkah, you have the pragmatic, practical side. It's just... These are around. These are growing at that time. Same way Sukkah, you're free at that time. It's good weather at that time. Go in. Okay, these are the stuff. Hasheni, number two. Secondly, they're beautiful and they're pleasant to look at and touch and smell. Helkam etrog v'adas notim reach tov. Again, two of them have good smell. Avalulav ha'arava en reach ra v'lo nichoach. Even the lululav and the arava don't have pleasant smell. They don't feel, they don't smell bad. And then lastly, so again, number one, they're around. Number two, they're pleasant to look at and to smell. Ha'inyan ha'shilishi hu'shehem matmidim b'ra'anunutam b'meshech shiva yamim. And lastly, they stay fresh over the course of seven days. Unlike, דבר שאינו מתאפשר באפר פרסקים, רימונים, חבושים, אגסים והדומים להם, you won't have that with pears or peaches or pomegranates and so forth. He says that's the reason as well. Oh, little did he know that there's a business because our aravot go bad within a day or two. But anyway, anyway that's, that's Harambam's, that's his take on all of this. There's several points I just want to make. First, a few technical points. First and foremost, in terms of technical points, I'm going backwards. With regards to the Arba'at Aminim, just note his logic, his rationale means that we weren't taking Arba'at Aminim in the desert. We were only taking it in the land. After all, they're about growth in the land and appreciation about entrance into the land. Well, that's not always easy to say. They weren't in the desert. 
Don't forget, there's always questions about each one of the mitzvot, how they perform it in the desert, where they get the animals from, and so on and so forth. Haram Baba is an easy answer to this one, at least. He says, he doesn't say it explicitly here, we didn't do it there. Harambam in the Perusha Mishnayot in his Hakdama, in source number six, I found this some time ago, but I'm sure it's well known. He writes, He's in the middle of a conversation about Peri meaning etrok. And he's certain, he says, it's what's called Perush Mikubal Moshe Rabbeinu. You have to interpret it as etrog. We have a tradition from Moshe, from God, that that's the interpretation. He says, but the Gemara has all sorts of deliberations on how to prove it. It's not because the rabbis weren't certain. No. Again, the context is less important, but here's the line. Yes, Abi, what about the years? Okay. His statement is from Yoshua until today, we've been taking Lula. Why does it say from Yoshua? Now we're not from Moshe. In the footnotes, as a matter of fact, in the uh, Rabbi Korah, I think is the edition, Perusha um, Mishnayot, he cites from Tzitz Eliezer, that's Rabbi Waldenberg, who points out, you see, Yehoshua, according to Harambam, points out further, it's consistent with what he wrote in the Mode. So that's one, one note with regards. So it's just interesting. I, you know, it's not something, maybe it's simple to all, but it, for me, it's not something that I easily assume that a mitzvah, which is mentioned in Parashat Emor, is not to be practiced until entrance into the land, especially because it doesn't say Kitavo Elar. Sometimes, you know, Hala and so forth, Kitavo. Okay, that's the assumption, that's, that's, that's the claim. Very consistent with his rationale, um, that which he writes in Perusha Mishnayot. Secondly, a technical point, in terms of the happiness Harambam wrote over here, how and where do you get that happiness from? Says Harambam, first and foremost, just the period of the year, that's what he said, because you're free. And then with regards to mitzvot, and indeed, as A.B. just said, the Pasuk says by the Arba'at Haminim, Usmachtem Adonai That's a mistake many people, especially people who make speeches, mistake. They make mistake. People very often I hear say, sitting in the Sukkah is the way we derive happiness as the Torah prescribes. Absolutely not. In the Torah, it never says happiness in the context of sitting in the Sukkah. The happiness is in the context of the Arba'at Haminim, Usmachtem. Uh, that's when it says it. Harambam consistently in, in Moreh Nebuchim said, that's where the happiness is. The happiness is, you left the desert and you're in the land of Israel. Which, by the way, a little difficult to do when you're in exile, especially when you're in exile for several thousand years. You know, that's your happiness. Happiness is, but I'm in Israel, I'm using the stuff from Israel. Okay, regardless. Doesn't mean we don't do it. Harambam in Mishneh Torah. So again, point number one, just technical, was to point out that we weren't doing this until entrance. Point number two, technical, is Harambam in the Moreh, very consistent with the Pesukim, says the happiness was with the Arba'at Aminim. In Mishneh Torah, in the last source, in source number seven, in the source sheet in front of you, Harambam famously at the end of Perek Chet of Ilchot Ulav, in the last several halachot, attributes that happiness that the Torah describes to, not the Arba'at Aminim, but rather to what's called Simchat Bet HaShoeva, a long-winded discussion in the fifth chapter of Masechet Sukkah, which describes from the rabbis what was done in the Mikdash over the days of Sukkot at night with regards to affiliating it with the Nisu Chamaim, also not explicit in the Torah at any point. Simchat Bet HaShoeva says, Harambal, that's how we fulfill the happiness. 
You might say that's a contradiction. Indeed it is. I have no problem with that. I'll tell you why I have no problem. Because over here in the Moray, he says the happiness is with Arba'at Aminim. In the Mishneh Torah, he says it's with Simchat Veta Shoeva. He says it explicitly. That's how you fulfill the happiness. He goes on to say all the mitzvot you do happy, but he's saying that's the fulfillment. I have no contradiction on that either. Not to say that they can't be, he could change his mind, but Moreh Nebuchim says to us, I'm going based on Peshuto Shel Mikra. Look in Peshuto Shel Mikra. No mention, he told us in this chapter, if you recall, no mention of Simchat Bet HaShoeva in the Torah, no mention of Bet HaMikdash in the Torah explicitly, right? So you're not talking about Simchat Bet HaShoeva. It's in Mishneh Torah, so fascinatingly, at least in my opinion, you have almost an evolution of interpretation of the Torah. That's the way I read this. In other words, now that we have a Mikdash and we have a Simchat Beit HaShoeva, I believe that is and was the fulfillment of Simcha. A fascinating rabbinic twist on this, right? Uh, but that's what I have. That's a longer conversation about rabbinic twists on interpretation, although we've had over the course of some time those sorts of conversations. Okay, those are the technical aspects. Now I'd like, go ahead. Can't you also use, you know, you're using these, these, these tools, right? These planted tools that come off the, the tree, the fruit, the leaves, that, to, that's your simcha. But ultimately you're going to the simcha beta shoeva that, that now you're recognizing your place in this thing, in this... I hear you. My only point... those are also... I'm not leaders. saying... So I, I hear what you're saying. Your, your suggestion is that... I'm it's just an evolution from I'm saying Mishnah. It's it's an evolution of sorts, right? In other words, it's a rabbinic evolution of this. Because remember, in Mishneh Torah, he doesn't associate it at all. Not to say it's contradicting. It's not with Arba'at. I mean, he knows the Pasuk in the Torah. But he says essentially it's fulfilled. Now, again, I'm not saying it's a new type, like you're saying. It's an emanation. I went from Arba'at Aminim, and now I can appreciate that same aspect in the Mikdash. I have the Mikdash. I don't need to just do it from the vegetation. No question. It's just fascinating, at no, least in my... What I'm celebrating it's, it's there. Naive, yes, exactly yes, yes. The whole aspect. Of it. All right. So uh, the last thing I'd like to do, which is maybe the most time to address in, in this respect, is just note one quick, not difficult irony. I call it an irony, not a contradiction in what we just read in the Mode. And, and the reason I call it an irony is because what Harambam began with Sukkah and ended with Arba'at Aminim in their description do not seem to, they're at the very least coming from opposite directions. They might be ending in the same place, but opposite directions. Sukkah is, remember what you were at and recreate it so that you'll appreciate what you have now. Arba'at Aminim is, appreciate what you have right now. There's very different directions at this. And more than anything, again, I mention all these in irony because I do think they arrive at the same point in the middle, which is appreciate where you are. Um, it's just to flesh out and try to appreciate what the underlying logic, specifically with regards to sukkah, that when you take yourself out of what you have, you can sometimes best appreciate and understand it as opposed to just involving yourself in it. It's almost as if, and again, there's a psychological reality here, which I think he's speaking out, and he's not hinting, he's directly telling us that oftentimes you can get lost in the opulence and comfort, which is a necessary removal in order. Now, that's not to negate that we don't have it. Don't, as a result, become an ascetic. That's the end of the panic. Enjoy the fruits. 
but appreciate it like that. And just to kind of flavor that a little bit and try to bring that forth. So I have some sources I'd like to read together with you. So again, the first source was Tur, as we mentioned earlier. Tur was addressing the eluded question of Harambam. The eluded question of Harambam, why Sukkah now? Why not in any other point? Why not Nisan? Answer, mitzvah tabore, show that you're following God. Harambam, comfortable. Rashbam is close to Harambam, but more pointed on this. Rashbam, in a well-known comment in Parashat Emor, has the following statement. It says, Leman The Pasuk says, you're sitting in the Sukkot, so that future generations will know. If you take a look, just make maybe go down to the third line, where it says again, Leman Tizkiru, Ki in the desert, you had no settlement, you had no inheritance. In other words, to the words of, uh, of Norman from beforehand, lech lecha, right? You were nomadic. It's not so much the uh, discomfort, it's more, or, or, or it's the vulnerability. You had no permanence. By so doing, you'll have a thankfulness, a gratitude to God who bestowed, who gave to you houses filled and, uh, and, and complete. And you won't say in your hearts and minds, my strength, my might has given me this. Specifically at the time of production, of success potentially, uh, that's when you're going out into the field in the Sukkot. Very much along the lines of what we read in the Moreh. It's a nuance different uh, because whereas for Harambam, the sitting in the, in the Sukkah is it's an appropriate time because it's comfortable. And while you're in it, remember that and appreciate for Rashbam, well, you're appreciating, the best way to appreciate is going there and do it at this time for that reason. It's almost... Now that you have success, lots of wealth, don't let it go to your head. Whereas Harambam didn't really mention those words. No, he didn't, didn't, didn't accentuate that, but they're very close in terms of their direction. Because of this reason, it's for that reason that during the time of the collection, the reaping, or, or the collection, you know, bringing in, so that we don't become haughty and self-centered in our homes, which are built up. Because we might say that this is our own success. Rashbam is very, he's alluding to the Pesukim through and through. The Pesukim in Parashat Ekev. These Pesukim in source number three, that Pasuk that he cited, is through, that's explicit here in Devarim Perik Het. If you look, for example, and I'll just show you very briefly. Uh, first and foremost, this is a description God's bringing you to this land, which has flowing streams and has growth and has vegetation and so on and so forth. You're going to eat, you're going to say shit. Make certain that you're thankful, right? Uh, be careful, fourth line. Right? And you'll build beautiful homes and you'll dwell in them. This passage is to be read in conjunction with Sukkot, right? In other words, this is a description. Don't let it go to your head, says 
Rashbam, parentheses, that's why we have Sukkot. Veram levavecha, shachachta et almar elohecha, hamosiach hameres v'sraim, bet avadim, hamolichacha b'amidbar ha-gadol, v'hanora, nahash, taraf, and so on so forth, hama'achilach haman b'amidbar, ma'anasotecha, v'hamata bilvavecha, what might you say, lest you'll say, kohi ve'otim yadiyasali et ha'ilazer, remember God, be able to appreciate. At all. At all. No, at all. I, I think it's actually Shavuot in the Bikurim. No, this is, no, yeah, no Bikurim is later on. It's Kitavo. Yeah. This is just Moshe warning the people. It's Rashbam's appropriation. Rashbam takes Sukkot and he says, oh, it was addressing that. The Torah never explicitly connects them. Harambam came close to doing this as well. I'm just reminding you. In other words, Harambam didn't say it as clearly. It's not so much that it's going to go to your head. It's that you won't appreciate it. And appreciation is to be felt when I put myself in the absence and remember when I didn't. So in turn, I realized this came from God. So I'd like to just a moment or two more try to fully flesh that out, both for Rashbam, but more specifically for Harambam, how by removing myself and turning back the clock, feeling life or reflecting on life before entrance here, there's some sort of midah, some sort of character, or de'ah harambam would say, character trait which is sharpened or felt clearly within me through that, again, psychological phenomenon. And so I would, I would suggest it by means of this. Again, it's not, I'm not saying anything you don't know already, but as Rabbi Salvechik has in one of his Teshubah Dirashot, in the book On Repentance, first published in Hebrew, Al HaTeshubah, he's talking in this context about subjugation, about subservience, about realizing that our avdu to God. And so just read together with me, because I think there's a beauty in his way of articulating. He says, the same thing applies to human bondage. Only when man has one king to whom he owes allegiance and absolute loyalty can he be considered a liberated and free person. Subjugation to anyone else borders on idolatry. So first and foremost, again, there's an irony. I know it's out of context also. So it sounds kind of counterintuitive. By becoming a slave to God while you're finding your freedom. But again, effectively, he's saying... There's no distractions. You have a mission now. So I'm under God's domain. I'm his reign. As opposed to distraction from other things, that's along the lines of idolatry. What, go ahead. So one king, would it be capital K? Would it be understanding? How do you know that it's God? In this context, yeah, yeah, it's, it's God. Yeah, yeah, well, you'll see from the continued anyway. Um, so he says, how do people subjugate themselves? What do we become slaves to? Yeah, it's either my typo or... <laughs> Or he's just talking in general at this point. Um, I, I will tell you, he also didn't write this. Um, I will tell you further, you know, so what's the, you know, if this was being read out loud in a sermon today, I imagine it would be, you're all slaves to your money. I'm sure that would be. So he has a more, in my opinion, beautiful way to, part- to, to portray this. People subjugate themselves in many ways. What can be better or more desirable, I'm not saying they're not both true, than binding oneself to one's family and children? In other words, the speech would go, you're slaves to your money, what about your family and children? Says Rabbi Salvation, no, 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 you become a slave to your family and children to the extent that they're a major focus and take your mind off of God? Well, you're doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And, and in that context, by the way, A.B., to our conversation from earlier, he brings up Akeda Yitzhak. The Torah teaches us to love and cherish our children, bring us, brings as an example as a father takes pity over his children. At the very same time, the story of Akeda Yitzhak is perhaps there to teach us that parental love 
must not be transformed into absolute bondage, which has idolatrous connotations. It's a fascinating, a fascinating Absolutely. description. Absolutely. Yes, rem- remember what Akedat Yitzchak would have been, and I'll go a step further, wouldn't it have been best then for him to actually kill Yitzchak? So you say, no, he kind of killed him right. spiritually, well, psychologically. Yeah. Are we really arguing for that? Are we really arguing for a strange against It's arguing about the limitation of yeah. what that is. Right. That's what it is, right? right? So the same idea with the Sukkah, you're putting yourself in a new limitation, it's not as big and nice as the house that you have. And in but turn... You're in, but then because of that limitation, you're actually correct. happier, clearer, correct. you have more opportunity. More correct. Creative. You lost the, in, in these words, you lost the bondage to your home. Right. You're That's no longer... Yeah. His suggestion yeah. is that yeah. the yeah. more yeah. the more we become attached... No, the oh, father and son. I'm so attached to my son my mind is a bit off of God. God says, so disattach yourself from your son. Bondage to the state, and here's the part I really wanted and to bring And the limitation forth. on the son, because he's so attached to your son, so now you have the limitation on him too. Correct, right. correct. Well, True. That's, that's reciprocal. Bondage to the state can also become idolatry. Now, he doesn't say he's talking about Zionism in its you know, extreme sense here, but I imagine he is. He is talking about anything, but bondage to the state can also become idolatry. I like it on that. We're all the great. No, no, he's not going to be against Zionism. He's going to, I was going against extreme Zionism, where it's the state right. against all. Right. And by the way, very Maimonidean. Why do I say so? Because what do we talk about in the Moreh? How Eretz Yisrael has Kiddushah, but it's not an inherent, Absolutely. essential Kiddushah. It's a Kiddushah, what you make of it vis a vis your relationship with God, your appreciation of Kiddushah. It, which is God's manifestation, which is your discovery of it. You're acting according to it. Uh, so that's, that's very much the description here. And the reason I mention this in context of sukkah, I think should be clear. Sukkah in turn, back to Eretz Yisrael, why don't I indulge in the land? Come on, you know, I, I understand I shouldn't be overindulging. I understand don't build my house too much. But let me at least, let me celebrate the holiday by enjoying Eretz Yisrael. The suggestion is, no, no, you need to take yourself even away from Eretz Yisrael a little bit. I'm not saying don't enjoy it, avat aminim, but appreciate and realize that the land of Israel is there to serve a purpose in your avodat Hashem. It's not there to be an ends in it of itself. It's a means, it's a direction to connect yourself with God. That's what I'm suggesting is the underlying rationale in Sukkah according to Rambam. Were all the great men of the world to ask me to sign the declaration, pledging my unreserved loyalty, writes Rabbi Salvechik, to the state, which fulfills the highest ideals of Jews today, and again, he doesn't say it, but he might be saying Israel. I would, oh, it's even Israel. I would by no means be willing to do so. Subjugation of this kind is tantamount to idolatry. Only one kind of bondage is permissible. And that is to the Holy One, blessed be he, to the Torah he has given us to us to guard our ways and to the set of spiritual values with which he presented us. If the state assists us in accepting this bondage, then we would be justified in professing devotion to it. But if the state interferes with these loyalties, I add, if the state distracts in our loyalties, there could be no room in my heart for any love for it. So again, I, I just think, and I'm going to bring it one step further or one step along the same lines um, with regards to this vision, ironically, the holiday which is most or just as much as the other holidays affiliated with the land is also removing us from the land. Go back into the desert. Appreciate the land. Don't leave it. 
but go back into the desert at the same time. Because by being in the desert, you realize what the land is. It is a, a venue, a direction, um, and a mechanism for connectedness. And that's what Harambam was describing. He says, go back into the desert experience and feel God. Realize the otot he did for you there. Now appreciate what the land is. Nothing more, nothing less. Along those lines, in the same uh, in, in in the same direction, a little bit of a different spin on it with regards, but ultimately speaking, identical in the direction is Michael Goodman. Michael Goodman wrote this book. It was called Haneum Ha'aharon, and it just got uh, repub- uh, just got translated and published this summer in English, called The Last Words of Moses. What's it about? That's the final sermon of Moshe. So, uh, among other things, but this was the part that I remember most uh, from my first reading in Hebrew. It's easy to find it in the English. He writes, it's an excellent book, I, I should add. Uh, he writes, Plato described a normative national consciousness. The nation arose from the land. So he says, the Platonic vision, if you read the Republic, is, and, and much of that sort of thought, what's that? It might also be Misraim, but Plato's vision of the greatest republics is an allegiance to the land. We come from the land. It happens to be in the paragraph right before this, or right after this, rather. He likens this to secular Zionism. He reads Ben-Gurion's words and others that they, too, say, we began in this land. Says says, uh, Michael Goodman, look at, on this point, Arami Ovedavi. Says Michael Goodman, look at much of Sefer Devarim, but especially Arami Ovedavi. I'm coming with the Bikurim. Where are you beginning with? Well, of course, it's the growth of the ground. Why don't growth of the ground of this land? I should start with the settlement of Eretz. Arami Ovedavi, Vayered Misraim, and so on and so forth. Start with not the land. Appreciate the land for what it is, but it's not that the land is what makes you who you are. It's the land is a opportunity for you to appreciate that connection which began and will continue even without that land. Moshe tried to forge a non-normative national consciousness. We came to a land in which we were not born. The non-normative national story is a means of shaping and elevating the national consciousness. Okay, now, that's... Absolutely. Yeah, he's not critical of Moshe. But absolutely, again, if you took it, and he'll just sharpen it a little bit more, if you took it in the direction we were suggesting based on Harambam and Rabbi Salvechik and Rashbam until now, effectively the purpose is the land is not about me, the land is not defining me, that will lead to haughtiness, my mind will be off of God. You know what happens when my mind is off of God and on myself? It's off of other people as well. So Michael Goodman adds that as well. Why is it important to Moshe to emphasize that the nation is not indigenous to the land? Because the story according to which we, the people of Israel, are immigrants to the land of Israel is supposed to instill in our consciousness a keen sensitivity to other foreigners and an empathy for the strangers in our midst. And indeed, he goes on to point out throughout the book, that's what Moshe does throughout Sefer Devarim. Sefer Devarim is, this is not your land. Land. Don't believe this is your land. It's a present. You are dwelling here, but you come from outside of here. Remember, you were a slave in another land. Realize, furthermore, you're not actually a resident of this land. So pay attention to the foreigners. Plato and Moshe have the same goal, safeguarding the nation on its land. It's and both again, believe... Correct. The Ger Almana, the Etomim, etc. is all exactly... And again, so we read the Torah, and it's just, remember, you were a slave in the land. What Michael Goodman's point out is, furthermore, and also, don't get too comfortable here. Right? In other words, we don't, at least I don't, I always affiliate those... I think the reason is is because of the way we came to be given the land. In other words, the fact that we got the beat, 
And the fact that we got to Rami Sinai was really Hashem, the Creator, limiting Himself in order to create this relationship. Okay. So you're going a step further in sharpening it. But effectively, the, yeah. effectively the point is, my berit is not, ironically, even though the land is a consequence, the berit is not contingent on my residence in the land. The land is not an essential aspect. It's, it's consistent with the same point of don't look at any limit. as a li- The point of that limit is just... What can you now do within that? Sure, correct. This is very much, as we've said a hundred times, a stark contrast to a Ramban Nahmani type of vision. For him, and I don't know if we did it in these classes, but for another occasion, the mitzvot, the mitzvot, even she'enan tiluyot ba'aret, the mitzvot we perform outside of the land of Israel are effectively chinuch. We're getting ourselves conditioned. Harambam, I would have no such thought of that notion. Uh, Rabbi Salvechik would say quite the opposite. It's right. In the land, you'll get closer and you'll find a way. Remember his words in the More? Your mind will be free because you won't be subjugated. It's so much in line with this. That's what he said. There'll be no shibud malchuyot if you do Israel right. And as a result, you'll come closest to God. That's what Sukkot is. It's the free time during which I can appreciate the land by taking myself out of it and in turn say, Saying, what is it about the land that I appreciate? My wealth, my opulence, my comfort? No, quite the opposite. It's the fact that I have the ability to live in this land and in turn find God. He says, in concluding, he says, Plato and Moshe both wanted strong countries, st- strong nations on their land. Plato believed that the people would be able to remain in the land so long as their soldiers felt driven to defend it valiantly. Moshe believed that the ability to survive in the Holy Land was dependent on the people's sensitivity to its weakest residents. Again, we might add as well, I'm not uh, I'm de-emphasizing it furthermore strengthen the connection to God. If the people recognize that they themselves are strangers and if they develop a sensitivity to other strangers, they will merit to inherit the land. Only if the people believe that they are not from the land will the land remain there. It's a beautiful final line, which I think is very apropos to the words of Harambam with regards to Sukkot. So to bring it all together and to summarize... And in the soldiers still today. They do have a sensitivity even to their enemies. I'm not saying it's full. It's, but no, that's it's nice. Unlike any other that's nice. In the world. And you attribute it to that. I, I, I hope you're right. I hope you're right that this is that that, that this is you know part of our metaphysical DNA, uh, you know, uh, genetic build uh, um, makeup. Uh, effectively, though, just to quickly summarize the words of Harambam and to get the picture uh, to crystallize it, Harambam then in the More when he addresses Sukkot, we left out Shemini Atzeret. We didn't talk about the association to Pesach. Sukkot. Sukkot is a time during which a there's freedom of mind and body sacrifices. Issue number one. Number two, Sukkah. Appreciate the miracles of the desert get out of the comfort to appreciate the land, and lastly, parentheses, and appreciate the avot. Lastly, arba'at haminim, I know, arba'at haminim, midrash, aside, arba'at haminim, joyous, festive, because you're appreciating the land with beautiful fruits, which are ripe throughout, which are going to stay fresh, and which are indigenous to the land. In other words, you're gonna find them easily there. We pointed out, when we piece those, those aspects together, Adam is giving us a large picture, I think. There's different aspects to it, but they're meeting in the middle. Whereas the Sukkah says, appreciate what you have by taking yourself out of it. Arba'at Aminim says, appreciate you have what you have by 
depreciating what you have. Um, why would you take yourself out of it? Why not just indulge in it? So that's what we spend time psychologically speaking, and especially for a Maimonidean vision to appreciate the land we zone specifically in on and to understand what the state is in my relationship with God, what the Aretz is. It's not that the Aretz makes my relationship contingent. It's not that I can only find God through the Aretz. It's that the Aretz aids me in that relationship. So take myself out of it and in turn find God. To use the words of Micah Goodman, right? Only if the people believe that they are not from the land or alternatively, only when you realize that you started outside of the land in this relationship, will the land remain theirs? I add, will the relationship with God remain? That's right. Okay. In turn, you have that appreciation. Now, again, Rashbam's words in the middle of this are very much appropriate to this as well. Rashbam says, because you get lost in same point, different words. It's more about the haughtiness and forgetfulness of God because you assume the land is yours. Whereas I think Harambam has the spiritual aspect of a gratitude to God. Same line, same line of thought, as opposed to that haughtiness of fear in terms of midot. Uh, but that is the holiday of Sukkot. And so that means the Avodah for Sukkot is all that more difficult, I believe, for those who live outside the land of Israel and those who have lived out of the land of Israel for quite some time. In other words, to appreciate Sukkot is to appreciate what the land means. That's really what it's supposed to be. If I don't have the land, or if I'm not living in the land, so then what am I doing? Harambam, though, does provide an angle. Because philosophically speaking, it's not only about the land, it's more specifically about my relationship with God, which the land certainly does aid in, but it's not, quote-unquote, a necessary aspect and direction with regards to strengthening that relationship. Baruch Adonai le'olam, amen, amen.